Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. If it's your first time here in a little while, we're in the middle of a series called Great Expectations. And um, we started off the first week talking about what to pray for. And then last week I shared with you when we should pray. And so maybe you're asking yourself, well, in the first week you said that we needed to pray specifically. Um, But then uh, last week you said we need to pray persistently. Which is it? And the answer is yes. Yes, we need to pray specifically. Yes, we need to pray persistently. And I want to share with you the third kind of praying, type of praying that we need to do and how to pray. And that is to pray desperately. So this is based off of uh, Charles Dickens' book, Great Expectations. And in that story, there's a little guy named Pip. He was an orphan. His uh, parents had died. His brothers and sisters had died. And so his sister was raising him. And so as she uh, was raising him, she didn't have a lot of money. Her husband didn't have a lot of money. And so because he was an orphan, he was kind of the last thing everybody thought about. And then when he was a teenager, there was a man that came, well, he didn't know this, but there was someone who came into his life that paid for him to go to school and go to what we would call college and to set him up for life. And so he called him his unknown benefactor. And at the time, he thought he knew who that benefactor was. And as the story went on, he found out that it wasn't who he thought. Well, you know, as Christians, we have a benefactor. We're orphans just like Pip. And we have a benefactor just like Pip, but he has not made himself unknown. Matter of fact, in Jeremiah chapter 33, he says this, Call to me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You know, prayer is an amazing opportunity for us to connect with the God that made everything, knows everything, and controls everything. Did you hear that? Prayer is our opportunity to connect to the God, the creator of the universe, the one who made everything, knows everything, and controls everything. It was interesting, this morning uh, I, my, my phone beeped and I looked down and it was the, the verse of the day. And I don't know if you use it, but I love the app called um, you version, all right? And the verse of t- today was Psalms 18:30. And here's what it said. It said, "This God, which God is it talking about? This God, the one who made everything, controls everything, breathed everything into existence. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him." So our benefactor, the God who made everything, controls everything, 
calls to us and says, call unto me and I will answer. Not only that, but I'll show you things that you haven't even comprehended. But for some reason, we still don't call unto him, do we? Now I think of, uh, we had two boys growing up, they're men now, married with families and um, I remember I'd be sitting in the living room on the couch and I could see them start to walk by and they'd pace back and forth. And I knew that they, were, they wanted to ask dad for something. Usually it involved money. And so I'd see them go by and then I'd see them go back across. And then I'd see them go by and then I'd see them go back across. And he'd do this for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, torturing himself. And what his dad was saying just ask. But see, he didn't know that. And so he convinced himself that, what did he convince himself? That I was going to say no. Well, I believe that we're not much different than my sons when it comes to our Heavenly Father. In that, that we pace back and forth. And, and I don't know if God sits on a couch up in heaven. But if he was, it'd be a big couch. And he watches us pace back and forth. And he knows everything. He knows what we want to ask. But yet, what do we do? We talk ourselves out of it. And we never ask why. Because we're afraid that God's going to say no. You know, sometimes it's not good enough to, to know that God wants us to call out to him. Sometimes we need a little more persuading. So what does that persuading look like? Well, last week I shared with you seven verses throughout the scripture that I believe demonstrate that God wants us to continually bring things to him in prayer. And it's not because he's hard of hearing. It's not because he's deaf. It's not because he needs to change. It's because he wants us to change. And so today I want to share with you three stories where I think God demonstrates that sometimes, you know, we pray specifically and yet nothing happens. Sometimes we pray persistently and nothing happens. And sometimes God is wanting us to come to him. What he wants us to come to him is boldly. But usually we don't get that boldness until we get desperate. And let me share with you a couple of these stories. The first one is in Luke chapter 18. Now remember, we started this passage, this series off with the disciples going up to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just like John the Baptist taught his disciples. And so here is Jesus continuing that lesson, although it's probably weeks if not months later. And he had just told them about the kingdom of heaven. And when he told them about that, they were kind of shell-shocked. Like, because he told them some bad things were about to happen. And then he goes into, in chapter 18, Luke shares with us this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. See, he still wants that persistent prayer. In verse 2 he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. 
Now, when we hear this, we think of a parable or, or Jesus is making up a story. I kind of believe that this is probably a true story that was happening that people were talking about there in the area that Jesus and the disciples were ministering. And he says, there was a certain man, there was a judge, and he neither feared God nor man. You know, you probably work with some people that act like they neither fear God nor man. You know, they, they, they tell you they're a self-made person. They, they, pull, they pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. That's the kind of judge that Jesus is talking about here. He doesn't need help from anybody. Doesn't ask for help from anybody. And typically everybody's coming to him. In verse 3 it says, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. See, he was used to this. People always were coming and asking him for his help. Why? Because he was a man who didn't fear God and he didn't fear man. He had it all figured out. Life was good. But you see, this widow woman, life wasn't good. I don't know if you understand, but back then a, a widow was a horrible situation to be in. Because um, it was a patriarchal society, and when her husband died, people took advantage of the widow. Say, oh, no. It, it happened just like that. They would, they would see a widow and the husband owed them money. And instead of allowing her, because, you know, they, she didn't work. She probably didn't have the means to, to pay it back. And so instead of working with her and allowing and helping her, they would take advantage of her. And basically they would threaten to take everything that she had. This is what they would do. They could take her and her children and put them in prison. Have them sold as slaves to pay the debt that the husband had left. And so that's probably what was going on here. That somebody, her, her husband's dead and gone, and she has no way to take care of herself. And now the debt collectors are coming back. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. See, this is very real for her. She was about to lose her children. She was about to lose everything that she had in life. And somebody was trying to take it from her. And so she goes to the judge, the judge that didn't fear God and didn't fear man. And she kept going to him. And it says, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So basically, this is what it looked like. When he would leave his compound in the morning, guess who was sitting outside the gate? This little widow woman. And she said, Judge, I need, I need to talk to you just for a couple seconds. And the first day, he probably slowed down a little bit. But after the second week, he's just like going as quickly as he can. Like and they hear this little widow's running right beside him. Ask, come on, Judge, if you don't help me, nobody's going to help me. You've got the power to do this. He'd get to work. He'd, she'd be stuck outside. He'd come out for, uh, at the end of the day, and guess who was there? This little old widow woman. And she'd follow him home, and the whole time she's bugging him, asking him to take care of her problem, to represent her in front of her adversary. And this kept going day in and day out. Every time he turned around, this little widow woman was there. Now, I don't know how long this lasted. 
but in verse 5, he says, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. In verse 6, And Jesus said, Hear what this unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And this is what Jesus said. He was very plain about this. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? And the reality is that most of us don't cry day and night. Most of us usually don't get beyond putting our prayer down on a sheet of paper or on a chalkboard. And then we forget about it. And then something happens and we'll remember and we'll pray again. And what, what God is looking for is someone just like that widow woman who comes to him day and night. And the, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, do you think that God, which God? The God who made everything, knows everything, and controls everything will delay? He says, no, I tell you that he will answer and he will answer speedily. I, I have been excited over the last two weeks to hear back from many people who had shared prayer requests. And watching God start to answer those prayer requests. Now, I know he hasn't answered all of those prayer requests. But I'm confident that some of them haven't been lifted up more than one or two times. But I know that just like that widow woman, if we'll come to God day and night. He says, not only will I answer, but I'll answer speedily. Well, maybe the little widow woman doesn't represent where you're at. If you would, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read, this is kind of a long one. I'm going to read uh, a lot of this chapter. It says, there was a certain man... Ramus Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephratah. Now you ask, why in the world did they put all that in there? I'll tell you why. You know, there's a lot of people who will look at the Bible and say, I don't believe that that's true. But I, I, I'm convinced that we'll probably, there probably already has been discovered information that shows us who these people were. You know, he could have just said there was a guy named Elkanah, but they didn't. They specified it. Why? Because he wants to let us know that his word is true. In verse 2, it said he had two wives. Now, I think there is another good validation of the scripture. You're like, uh, that shouldn't be in the Bible. Well, if you read the Bible that I read, you'll find out that there's a lot of imperfect people in there. And so Elkanah was no different. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this is a problem in this culture. Now, this man, Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. 
On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Pentana, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Now, um, if you ever wondered what could go wrong having two wives, hello. All right, and for some, it wasn't enough to have two. But, but let's take Elkanah out of the picture. And now you see two wives, one who is fruitful, has lots of sons and daughters, and one who is barren. And she wasn't very nice about it. She probably felt like the widow woman, that she had an adversary. And this adversary was out to destroy her, was out to belittle her, was out to remind her every day, every month, every year. And by now, Hannah's getting to a point where she probably should stop thinking about having children. But does that help her stop thinking about having children? No, it doesn't. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. In verse 8, and Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? All right, so he's looking at this the wrong way, isn't he? See, he's looking at it like there's something wrong with him. And when it comes to Hannah, she felt like there was something wrong with her. And so she cries to God. In verse 9, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you caught what just happened, but Eli was the father who was the, uh, the head priest, and his sons were the normal ones in charge. Today, Eli was in town. Eli was at the temple. Eli was watching. And I don't know if sometimes... Um, when you were growing up, you behaved differently if dad was home versus just mom. Well, it's kind of like that with Eli and his sons. When the sons were there, people were probably a little uh, easier to, to do their temple stuff. But when Eli was there, you had to do it just right. In verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, I think she was specific there, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, and only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Verse 15, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am not a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, 
for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And so this is what's happening. Hannah, because she has not been able to have any children, she has told herself that she's a worthless woman. Her sister wife has told her that she's a worthless woman. And this has happened year after year. Verse 18, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. I'm sorry, I skipped a little bit there. It said, verse 16, do not regard your sermon as a servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman, Hannah, went her way and ate. Her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, in verse 20, it says, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. And the name Samuel in Hebrew means this, God has heard. Have you ever felt like Hannah? Where God had, there's a desire that, that, that you feel that God has given you, and yet it never comes, never comes to fruition. And just like here she, she couldn't give birth to what her deepest desire was, and that was a son. Well, if it's not the widow woman who was helpless, if it's not Hannah who was barren, what about, turn over to Jonah in the second chapter. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now, you know the story of Jonah, right? God called him and told him, I've got something I need you to do. Go to Nineveh and preach. And he said, uh, I'm going the other way. There's no way I'm going to Nineveh. And so now he's been thrown into the water, been swallowed up by a great fish. And verse 2, it says, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol. Now, this word here, Jonah is describing it this way, out of the belly of hell. I cried. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed me over, over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. In verse 6, at the roots of the mountains. Now, folks, the roots of the mountains are at the bottom of the oceans. Jonah literally hit rock bottom. Now, I don't know if you've ever hit rock bottom, if you're on rock bottom, or if you can see rock bottom from where you're at. But it's a whole lot easier to call out to God when you're there. Because you have nothing else. No one there to help. The situation's all gone the wrong way. 
And here is Jonah at rock bottom, at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of the steadfast love. You see, because Psalm 1830 says that this God, his way is perfect. His word is true. This God, the God who made everything, knows everything, and controls everything. This God has a plan, is ready to answer if we'll call out to him. But the reality is that most of us, just like Jonah, wait until everything else in our life has gone wrong before we call out to God. Now, now, don't get me wrong, God will be there. He was there for Jonah. He was there for Hannah. He was there for the widow woman. And God will be there for you. But what I'm telling you is, don't wait until you hit rock bottom. You don't have to. I know it's easy to call a God when you're laying on your back in a hospital. But you don't have to wait until that point in your life before you reach out to him. He'll still hear. He'll still answer. But you don't have to wait. Because those who don't call out to the God, the God that Psalm 18 talks about, the God that calls to us in Jeremiah 33, they call out in vain. In verse 9, But I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will take. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And then he went to preach a revival. You know what's interesting is, we don't have to wait until rock bottom. And most people, you want to know, are you at rock bottom? Are you starting to make deals with God? We call them deals. The Bible calls them vows. God, if you'll get me out of this, I will never... And then you fill in the blank. Hannah was so desperate that she said, God, if you'll just give me a son, I'll give him right back to you. You know, and she didn't raise him. Once he was weaned, he went and lived in the temple. But see, even though the widow woman was helpless, the word of the Lord proves true. Even though Hannah was barren, the word of the Lord proves true. Even though Job hit rock bottom, literally, the word of the Lord proves true. Which of these stories are you at? Are you at a point where you feel helpless? Where it seems like everything at work can go wrong? You work for the wrong person at the wrong place, getting paid the wrong money. Or maybe it's not at work. Maybe it's at home and it's your family. Everything in your family life is going wrong. And as you'll learn, the older your children get, the more helpless you get as a parent. It usually starts at about 12. Or maybe it's, it's not that you feel helpless. You just feel barren. That God has put a desire in your heart and it seems like that was 20 years ago and it's going to be 20 years before you ever hear from him again. Yeah. 
maybe you're just like Jonah and you feel like weeds are all about you, that you're stuck in a whale or a fish at the bottom of the ocean. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that Jonah thought that was it. When he asked the Lord to save him, he probably meant, just make this easy, God. I, I can't even imagine what it would be like in that situation and still be alive. I mean, you know, we think about like Shark Week. The shark just comes in, chomps you in half, it's all over. Not for Jonah. He gets thrown into the ocean and he starts drowning and then this fish scoops him up. And he... Then he goes down and down further. And inside that fish is a bunch of other stuff. It probably wasn't clean. Probably wasn't a good environment. Probably was everything about it was hard. And the whole time that he's going down further and further, you know what Jonah's remembering? That just a couple weeks ago, God said, go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah's telling himself, man, if you, if you just give me another chance, God, I'll go to Nineveh and preach. Why? Because he had no other choice. What is it God's wanting to do in your life? You know, as I started off this sermon series in prayer, and, and I talk about being specific about our prayers, most of us probably were looking at that very selfishly. It's easy to. I think we've all done it. For, ooh, where can I find in the Bible that it guarantees God has a purpose for every one of us here today. God has a design on your life that is incredible. It's far beyond you've imagined. The problem is most have already given up on that plan that God has for you. You look at your life and you're like, there's just no way that I can recover from this. You don't understand, Pastor Ronnie, what I've done. You don't understand my family. You don't understand my situation. Here's what I understand is I know what rock bottom looks like. And I know that the Bible tells us that even there, God will hear us. The question is, are we going to cry out or not? Or are we going to convince ourselves that, yep, that'll happen for everybody else, but that won't happen for me. At the end of Psalm 1830, it says, he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Will you take refuge in God or will you continue to try to figure it out yourself? Will you take refuge in God who made everything, knows everything, and controls everything? Or are you going to continue to try to figure this out on your own? You don't have to. He's ready. He's willing. Just like when I'm sitting on that couch wanting my sons to come ask. This God is wanting his children, his elect, to come and ask. I've been telling you this whole series that there's four answers that God's going to give. The first one is no. Remember in James 4, it said that we ask to consume it upon our own lust. And God, he's got an answer for that no. Get out of here with that. You see, the widow woman, she wanted to just save her life. Hannah just wanted a son. Job just wanted to live. Or Jonah just wanted to live. 
Will it take rock bottom for you to get to the point where you're willing to do what God wants to do for you, in you, through you, with you? Or maybe you're at that point where God's saying, you know what, I need you to grow a little bit. Second Chronicles 16.9 tells us that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth. That means Centralia too. Seeking those whose heart is completely toward him. What is it about your heart that needs to change? What is it about your desires that haven't aligned with God's plan for your life that need to change? Or maybe you're at that point where God is just telling you to slow down a little bit. Simmer down. Remember in Daniel, where Daniel had had been praying, and 21 days later, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him, from the very first day, God heard your prayer. How many of you, God has heard your prayer, and yet you just haven't gotten to day 21 yet? And you're going to make decisions that you'll never get to day 21. Did you hear that in 1 Samuel? It said, in due time, Hannah conceived. In due time. And folks, your due time is coming. The question is, will you believe? You see, Hannah, we knew she believed because everything changed. She changed physically. She changed emotionally. She changed spiritually. She believed the words of Eli. And she started living her life like she believed the words of Eli. When Jonah got his prayer answered and he gets spit out up on the beach, he remembered the promise he made to God. And he changed. I don't think he cleaned up. I think he went straight to Nineveh. Could you imagine a guy like that walking through the city and starting to preach? I'm sure some people made fun of him. Do you think Jonah cared that they made fun of him? He's like, I'd rather be in the middle of this city being ridiculed by everybody than running from God again. You've got to wait for it. When it's God's timing, you cannot force it. When it's not God's timing. I know we'll try, and all you're going to do is create another opportunity for God to work in your life. Or is it go? Is it go time? I'm going to read this verse to you one more time. It's Ephesians 3, 20, 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. This is the New Testament version of Jeremiah 33. God is able to do far more abundantly than we are willing and ready to ask or think. This God, the God who made everything, knows everything, and controls everything, is ready to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that has worked within us. And here's what, here's how you know when what you're trying to do lines up with what God needs you to do, and that is the glory goes to God. Because it says in verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. When God starts working in your life, it won't last just for a season. It won't just get you through the summer. It won't just help you get till Christmas. When God starts working in your life, 
and, and your will aligns and your desire aligns with where God wants to take you. That's what legacies look like. You see, when Hannah lined up her desires with what God needed, it was the last prophet to the nation of Israel. When Jonah lined up his desires with what God wanted in his life, probably the most perverse city on earth at that point experienced revival. What are we going to do? How's God going to work in our life? Gary and Carrie and Tony will come up and get ready to sing. Let's just enter into a, a time of worship. As the words are up on the screen as they sing, put yourself in there. What if you could lean your head on God's shoulder? What would you tell him? God knows you're hurting. God knows what's going on in your life. He made everything. He knows everything. He controls everything. God, he's there. And I don't know if you remember, but last week when I, I shared one of the verses where the whole time, you know, when, when Jonah was on the ship running from God, guess who was on the ship with him? God was right there. And when Jonah was um, telling the guys, hey, I made a bad decision, guess where God was? Right there. So much so that when they drew lots, guess whose lot came up? Jonas. When Hannah was being ridiculed, being made fun of, being told that she was worthless, God was there the whole time with her, year after year after year. Because he needed a prophet in due time. And he needed a prophet whose mom would give him away right after he was weaned. Because, you know what, I don't think that if she would have had three or four children that she would have given any of those away. I've watched our daughter-in-law with, with her two sons. I, don't, I couldn't pry them, wouldn't try to, but I couldn't imagine a mom giving away their child. But Hannah did, because that was what lined up with what God needed for her and from her. Let's pray, and as soon as I'm done praying, if you guys will sing the song. Lord, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts. What is it that you're saying to us? Are you telling us no, that we need to get our lives cleaned up, and that we need to change our desires? Or are we just, we're, we're close, but we're not quite where you, you have for us to go in our life, and there's a little more work you have on us? Or God, is it, have you already given us the answer, but... It's just around the corner. We just need to be patient and wait for the due time. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.